Hello and welcome to Legends of Tabletop. I'm Gavino Iglesias, author of uh, Zero Saints and Coyote Songs, and I am truly honored to be here today. I'm so very thankful that you have chosen to take the time to speak with me today regarding coyote, coyote songs, coyote songs. Um, I, I loved the book. Thank Get you. this book if you haven't yet. Um, so, yes, I absolutely adored it. And, and thank you again so much. So you said you're visiting family today. I well, am. not just today. You've been out there for how long? Uh, I got here on the afternoon of the 4th. Yeah, mm-hmm. June 4th. Yeah. Okay. So you've been you've been in Puerto Rico for quite some time. It, like it, a week? Sometimes it feels like two days and sometimes it feels like a month. But uh, yeah, I've been here a couple of days. Uh, I hadn't been here in two and a half years, so it feels good to come back and... Uh, yeah, just uh, visiting people and going places and getting as much uh, beach time as I can. Okay. Because Austin has many things, but Austin does not have a beach. So <laughs> I have to come here to get that. Okay. That sounds like quite a bit of fun. As you can tell from my pale complexion, we t- <laughs> I'm landlocked. So. <laughs> Oh my goodness. But yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, what While I have listened a little bit to prior podcasts that you've done and been on and participated in, not everyone that's listening today has. And I'm certain we're going to repeat a little bit of what I'm absolutely certain you may already be getting a little bit sick of. So um Please, if you would, if you would like to offer a little bit of your background and what you feel it brings to the weird fiction scene, what what your absolutely awesome works, um, barrio noir is one of the words that I see repeated over and over again. Please tell us more. Sure thing, and I don't. Uh, when it comes to talking about movies and books and. Uh, um uh, literature and, and just writing itself. I don't. Um, I, t- I don't get tired ever. That's mm-hmm. that's why I tell people on Twitter just like invite me to cool things. I'll I'll come and we'll chat. Um, no, I started writing. Um, I can't even remember when. I, I remember getting in trouble in school for uh, for writing um, horror stories. Um, so I was always writing. And then uh, in 2008, I moved to the U.S. and I decided I was going to start from scratch and write in English because I had been writing in Spanish my entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I wrote uh, a very bad, uh, probably 120,000 word novel uh, that was never published, obviously. Uh, then I wrote a couple other things. And then uh, in 2012, uh, Gutmouth came out and it was a short, mm-hmm. uh, bizarro novella that Eraserhead put out. 
Um, very weird. It's about a man who has a mouth in his stomach and that his uh, three-breasted girlfriend cheats on him with the mouth. Um, so, <laughs> so that was that was the, the start of everything. And then uh, I published Hungry Darkness, which is currently out of print um, with Severed Press, and it was a straight-up horror story. And then I kind of took a break and sort of uh, worked on Zero Saints, which was um, too much of a horror novel for the people who usually read crime. It had too much crime for the people who usually just liked straight-up horror stories. Uh, mm -hmm. It had syncretism. It had magic. It was sort of like a magic realism type of thing. Um, it had elements of the paranormal, and it had a, a political message. And uh, I sort of got tired of explaining what it was. Mm -hmm. uh, and then one day I just sat down and I said, I'm trying to put – it was also bilingual. Uh, it still is bilingual if you, if you buy and read it. Um, actually, more than bilingual because there's a little bit of Jorua and uh, a little bit of Russian in that book as well. Uh, and I just, uh, um, on, on a whim, I just decided to uh, create my own genre so that I could steer clear of the very long explanations. And uh, that's how Barrio Noir was, was born. And I stamped those two words um, on the title page when I sent it up to the... Uh, to the uh, publisher, and uh, it's been a thing ever since. And then when Coyote Songs was about to come out, it had some of the same elements. Uh, and then Zero Saints sort of put me on the map, uh, at least, uh, you know, the indie press world is not that big. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I decided to roll with it, and it's, it's, it's what I've been doing, it's what I love, and it's what I'm going to be doing for at least the next three or four novels. So... I guess that covers it. <laughs> well, no. Uh, what do you have coming up in the pipeline that we should be aware of? Uh, it doesn't have a title yet. Um, I, I'm about 30,000 words into the next one. There's uh -huh. a, uh, a wonderful agent in New York waiting for it. Um, if she likes it, I don't know the process. I've never worked with an agent before. Uh, if she doesn't like it, um, I'll do my best to sort of go uh, indie and get it to get it to be in print as soon as possible. Okay. Um, and then uh, uh, during the day, the day gig, I'm a teacher. So um, I'm a teacher during the day, and then I teach MFA courses online at night. So this it's, it has to happen in the summer. This is this is writing time, hopefully. Okay. So it'll be at some point in July, fingers crossed, it'll be done-ish because it's never done. Of course not. It never is. Uh, as long as you don't fall victim into the editing for it. <laughs> no, I, 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 I like working with editors. Uh, it'll never be perfect. So I'll, I'll make it as good as I can. And then I'll send it off to the pros and they will, um, whoever works with it, uh, will probably make it a little better. And then I'm going to call it quits. Otherwise, okay. I'll spend 12 years working on it. <laughs> Oh, man. So you do teach. Which age group do you find to be the most exciting and why? Well, I taught uh, I taught adults uh, ESL classes to undocumented workers in Austin for about a year. That was mm -hmm. a pretty wild bunch. Uh, they were a lot of fun. Love them to death. Uh, but before that, I, I taught uh, college for 11 years. Uh, so it's been kind of, I started teaching high school in August and it's been a uh, it's been a weird change because 
<laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, I got older, apparently, and now uh, freshmen are kind of kids. And like, I, I remember feeling like I was an adult when I was in ninth grade, but they're really not. <laughs> uh, but I teach uh, the entire four four grades in, in uh, high school, so okay. uh, nine, tenth, eleventh, and uh, seniors. What has been the biggest hurdle for you to overcome switching age groups like that? Uh, first of all, I um, and it's funny that I'm asked this at a well. I'm trying to contain my f words, mm-hmm. uh, which I try to do during all. We are an years. unrated. Yeah, we're unrated. <laughs> I, but I, I just I said I try. I didn't make any promises. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, if you, if you do let one slip, I'll, I'm not joking. Yeah. So the, well, the in in high school they're a little bit more judgmental than that. Uh, so for me, it was sort of I I become accustomed to dealing with, you know, adults. People are twenty, thirty, forty years old, and then you can you have more in common with those people, and then uh, your discourse uh, is sort of stronger. And then when you, uh, I had a kid the last week of class say that um, a ninth grader, by the way. Uh, he didn't understand what the what the whole boss was about Alabama because he thought that uh, if women um, had sex, they 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 should go forth and carry the baby under all circumstances. And then I had to stop and be like, "Am, am I really going to have this discussion with a with a with a freshman? What what have you done in your life? Who have you met? What have you gone through? What have you read? What do you understand about abortion and and rape and the law? And I'm I'm just not gonna have this conversation. Uh, so it's it's been hard to adapt to realizing that sometimes you're talking to somebody who's in 10th grade and they're six foot four, but it's a kid. Uh, So, yeah, (laughs) I'm still trying. Uh, We'll start again in August and we'll see how that goes. Wow. Now, Gabino, tell me, how does your unique background give you a distinct advantage when it comes to the art of story creation and storytelling? I, I have to do less research than uh, some of the people that I've met. Uh, I, I think um, growing up in, uh, in the Caribbean, living for a short time in Spain for a couple of years, uh, moving to the U.S. and having two languages and having the opportunity to interact uh, with, you know, the best academics that the University of Texas at Austin has to offer, and then spending a year uh, in the company of undocumented workers with no education. It's sort of, you just grasp things out of the air and you you become a better storyteller. Uh, And then I've also, I've I've been in love with books uh, forever, so I've always been reading. Uh, And I get into arguments. Uh, This is a hill that I continually choose to die on you cannot be a good storyteller if you don't read like a maniac uh so (laughs) so i spend my life reading and reviewing books so some of the stuff that i know just comes naturally some i learn on the streets and some is just from reading amazing authors um so yeah i'll repeat that if you you can't be a good writer if you don't read uh so we can fight about that all day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, good. I, I am forced to agree with you 100% there. Awesome. <laughs> but yes, you had mentioned the Caribbean. And that brings me to the next discussion point that I would like to explore. Uh, superstition. 
definition of superstition. (laughs) Belief or practice resulting from ignorance, fear of the unknown, trust in magic or chance, or a false conception of causation. Now, how would how would you feel that uh, you have used superstition in the creations of your works and your storytelling? See, I, I have a, a kind of a problem with the first part of that definition because some of the most brilliant people I've ever met are superstitious, <laughs> which kind of makes me think, you know, they're onto something. Uh, and also that that word wasn't part of my vocabulary for a very long time because it was just what people did. So uh, some of them believed in God and some of them only prayed to baby Jesus and uh, some of them had a, an entire pantheon of gods and, you know, they, they sliced the necks of chickens and they left stuff outside their doors at night. And it was all kind of part of the same thing. So... Uh, I, I grew up with my grandma um, not allowing me to use the bathroom in the hallway because that's, that was the bathroom where she kept her candles and stuff, and it belonged to the spirits. So the spirits in the house had that space. They could occupy that space. And the candles and the offers were going on at all times. And so I, I never thought, like, oh, she's superstitious. It was just like when I grew up, oh, why why am I not supposed to put uh, allow women to put their uh, – their purse on the floor why can't i open the umbrella inside the house that's stupid uh why does it matter what what side of the ladder i walk under or you know around why is that a thing about black cats i don't i don't get it so i started uh understanding uh what what it was uh years later um and sort of i decided not to break away with that or or treat it as uh something that was not important. And uh, moving to the U.S., I discovered, well, first the uh, the Mexican population. I First couple of years, I hung out with nothing but Mexicans. And they are so devoted um, to the point that it kind of, you know, transgresses uh, the, the Catholic faith or the Christian faith. It just goes above and beyond um, to the, like the use of milagritos and lighting candles and having all these things, and I just soaked it all up. I was like, "Let's let's do this." You know, when you're hanging out with people and everybody gets sort of tipsy, and then somebody wants to talk about ghosts, I'm not gonna call anybody stupid or say, "You want to talk about it?" Sure, tell me yeah, about experiences. <laughs> let's go. Let's do this. Uh, so the same thing happened with uh, with religion and with. Uh, um, all those things for me. I just grew up immersed in it and uh, um, decided that I was just going to roll with it uh, when it popped up on my fiction. And, and that's that's fantastic. It, it offers a window to a, a space that is not common in what I run across in my reading. And that leads us to the second half of the well, the Merriam-Webster description of superstition, a notion maintained despite evidence to the contrary. And I will admit that I fell victim to superstition in my email interactions with you scheduling this interview. Like, so much. It's like, oh, he's got too much to do. He's got so much going on. Of course, he's going to ignore my email, and that's okay. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm used to rejection. I can handle it. I'm a big girl. You know, so, I mean, if I did come across as a total bitch, I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. I okay. actually enjoy when, uh, when people remind me. There's two things that happen with uh, – I'm not going to say I'm not busy, but I, my life would be easier if I were a little bit more organized. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not. I just I, – I have a mental list and mm-hmm. sometimes stuff gets erased from it uh, and I, I just – until I see it again or suddenly it pops back up in my head and I, I get mm-hmm. to it. Uh, and the second thing is um, – I I wake up – I go to bed around midnight. I wake up at 4 every morning and I try to get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the summer is not really summer because I'm teaching uh, two courses for uh, Southern New Hampshire's MFA program. Ooh. So I know that goes first. So sometimes I wake up at 4 in the morning and I'm thinking there's three emails or – one email, two Facebook messages, and three Twitter DMs that I need to get to. And I swear I do it in my head. <laughs> and then I just keep going on with my day until somebody says, like, hey, sorry to bother you again. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I answered your email this morning. No, I didn't. Because it, what goes on in my head doesn't happen on the computer. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. And then as I mentioned above, I, I hate – now uh, I'm learning that on really important emails, uh, Gmail will remind me after a couple days, it'll bounce it back up and it says kind of like, you know, this is from four days ago. You might want to get on this. Oh, uh, t- Twitter doesn't do that. No. Uh, so on a day like today, um, so today I had two reviews go up in NPR. So those were widely shared. And then everybody and their dog who has a book coming up sends me a Twitter DM, which are always open. And half of those people I try to help, I, yeah, send me a book. I'll find a home for that review. Uh, but then suddenly I get 25, 30, 35 DMs in a day. Um, and then obviously it, the other ones that were already there waiting for my attention, gets just like pushed down to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I invite people to, please, if you feel like you're nagging, you're not you're you're being you're being an assistant. That's what you're doing. You're okay. reminding me that I'm I need to be more organized, and you're just making sure that your stuff bounces back to the top, and then I actually get to it, not just uh, in my head. So, okay. yeah. But here we are, which means that you somehow yes. managed to beat the odds in my own uh my own muddy head, and here we are. Okay. Well, I mean, and that whole bouncing around of priorities and the movement uh, in your existence, uh, give us some words about self-motivation and lighting that internal fire and drive to complete items, even though they may not be greeted well by the intended audience. You know who cares about your work? Nobody. Nobody gives a shit about what you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you have to make them care. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody's going to be there just like waking you up in the morning, grabbing you by the hand, handing you your coffee. You have to do this because it matters to everybody. No. You have to get up and you have to do it and you have to make people care. Uh, as I tell – a lot of authors tell me – I don't want to get on YouTube because I, I, don't, I don't really like to see my own face. I don't want to go on Twitter because I hate plugging my own work. So, well, the, if you don't, you're going to sell your book to your mom. 
and yep. maybe one of your cousins that you get along with. That's about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's a, a fine line between staying humble and actually telling people, hey, I put my heart and soul into this. I really think you should check it out. It'd be super cool if you did and be forever grateful. Um, and that second one you should always definitely do. Mm-hmm. Um, so get, get out there. Motivate yourself. You, We need to pay bills. And, and that's why most of us have a job. And then the rest of your time, it's yours. So when people tell me, I don't, I want to write a book, but I don't have the time. Then I usually say, okay, so how many jobs do you have? Well, I have only one job. Do you have kids? No. Do you have to take care of a pet or like a grandma? No. So what do you do? Well, I binge watch Game of Thrones. Like it I'll watch instead of day. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, get entertained, listen to music, watch movies and documentaries and enrich your life. But don't tell me you don't have time if you spend five hours in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. Then you just you you want to do it, you just don't want to do it bad enough. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing goes for like self promotion. Do you want to sell your book? Everybody wants to sell books. Mm-hmm. How bad do you want it? Are you willing to just stay out there constantly and you know be on your phone while you're doing other things and talking to people and saying yes to absolutely everything and learning to perform instead of read? Or do you just want to talk about it once every six months and hope that you become a New York Times bestseller? Um, I hope. Yeah. No. <laughs> good, good luck with that second option. oh man oh gosh and yeah and that's absolutely true that is absolutely true um i mean i'm i'm here because i had a conversation with myself of how hungry am i you know how badly do i want to talk to people um so i mean i'm i'm here um but let's see I was going to talk to you about gut mouth and writing in different genres. Now, what, what words do you have to say to us about that? I, I started writing and genre was not a thing that was going on in my head. I just wanted to tell different stories. So the first one was so weird that I knew only a bizarro fiction publisher would touch it. Um, and then that happened. But then the second one, I was sort of in a mood for like a fun thriller-ish sort of creature feature, I guess. And I knew that only a horror fiction publisher was going to touch it. And mm-hmm. then uh, luckily with Zero Saints, um, it was published by uh, Broken River Books and they publish everything. Um, so from literary fiction to crime to you know noir to uh, whatever magical thing uh, people like Rios de la Luz are doing, um, so I've been lucky. And then usually when I when I discuss uh, genre with people, my description is that genres is just self-imposed constraints. Like tell the story that you want to tell, and then at the end of that, you can try to figure out how you're going to market the thing. So when people say, I really love crime fiction, I'm not trying too hard to sell books. I'm not lying to them about it. I'm like, you're going to dig my book. It's about bad guys and, you know, bad things. People get killed and and there's drug lords and the guys, the stew maker, you know, he dissolves bodies for the cartels and there's guns uh, and there's justice and they're trying to kidnap kids and and fuck Trump. Um, 
And then when people say, I love horror fiction, I say there's a woman who's pregnant with a slithering animal that you know, comes out of her at night and eats babies across the border. <laughs> and then there's a, a woman possessed by an older god and she goes on a rampage with a machete. It's like, I'm not lying. <laughs> so is it crime or is it horror? Well, I don't care. It's my story. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying, if you like this genre, there's some elements of it. Uh, there's some magical realism in there. There's There's like a lot of things. Because if I start thinking... This is not usually done in noir, so I, I can't have uh, a woman turning into a human cocoon because that's just weird. Then I'll, I'll be hurting the thing that I want to do most, which is my writing. I'll, I'll be saying the thing that I want to do, I can't because I have this rule that I have to abide, and I, I don't do that. So sit down, write, do whatever you want, and and screw genre. You can figure that stuff out later or let somebody who does marketing or, or your own publisher uh, put a name on it if they want, and then it's not a headache anymore. Now, uh, working with an agent, you had said that uh, you just started that. Now, seriously, have you? How long has it been since you started working with your agent? I, I have not. She uh, she was very nice. She reached out to me about a year and a half ago and said uh, she read and was I working on anything? And I said, I am. I'm about to finish it, uh, but it has a home. Uh, and then she said, okay, here's what we can do. Uh, put out that novel with Broken River because it already has a home. And then the next one that you write, uh, send it to me. I'd love to take a look. Uh, she reached out again. Uh, about a year ago, maybe less, and said, do you have anything? And I sent her about 20,000 words. Uh, she'd sent some feedback and said, I really like this. I like where it's going. Talk to me when it's done. 20,000 words is not, it's not a novel. So go finish it, and then we'll talk. Um, I, I never thought about working uh, with an agent before because indie publishing is treating me so well. Uh, but now, for example, every time that I have to drive somewhere uh, with my own books because distribution is an issue, uh, then I start thinking maybe if I had you know bigger press, I could have distribution. Uh, or every time that I go to an event and I meet uh, authors who are doing really nice things and getting nice opportunities and traveling, which I love to do, uh, as soon as I start talking, the first thing that comes out of their mouth, well, I don't know how that happened, but but my agent, I'm like, oh, okay, that's <laughs> that's how that happens. You have an agent hustling for you, and then it's two people instead of one. Uh, so I hope he pans out because I'm, um, as you know, I'm willing to try anything if if it might help. Um, so I'll finish this novel this summer and send it to her. And if she loves it, we'll see how that goes. I wish you all the success. Thank you very much. You are welcome. Um, but yeah, and another thing that I that I will say is uh, Broken River uh, distribution of theirs is great because I say that because I went uh, to my library to check this out the first time to read it. And I had to interlibrary loan it. And then I brought it back when I was complete and I demanded that they purchase a copy for their location. And this is it. So good for them. They, yeah. uh, Yeah. So apparently Broken River has good enough distribution to. uh, Broken River has uh, a lot of things that uh, 
other indie presses don't have. And uh-huh. I will start with because you're. I saw you holding it up. I will start with covers. And mm, yes. people, people want to pick a fight about this. Uh, Matt Revert is a genius. He's done both of my covers. He does mm-hmm. all the covers for Broken River Books, and he is a magician. Uh, and the layout is superb. Uh, sometimes I open up <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I open up indie books, and the layout sucks. And last but not mm-hmm. least, uh, when I talk about that that person who makes everything a little bit better. That's J. David Osborne, who's my editor. At, uh, well, he's everything at Broken River. He is Broken River. <laughs> uh, so the layout is on him and the editing is on him. And those books are always super clean. Um, awesome. So, yeah. And I'm a big fan of the paper finish on this. It feels really <laughs> nice on the skin. So there good. you go. <laughs> feels good in the hand. <laughs> Cause, cause and then maybe the, maybe the stuff the stuff in the middle sometimes uh the stuff in the middle it, it, it kind of lives up to the uh uh, uh the cover from time to time oh, I'm, I'm always i'm always nervous about it because uh matt always gives me these covers and, and as soon as i see the the, the the last version i'm always wondering like my god i would pick up this book if i saw it just based on the cover and if somebody does that, is the stuff in the middle going to live off to that cover? Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's good and it's bad to have such great covers. From, mm. from, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, there there we go. <laughs> um, yeah, how long did it take you to write Coyote songs? Uh, less than Zero Saints. Probably, uh, probably a year. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean probably a year to write it mm-hmm. and then I don't know how to explain this it's sort of maybe I would work on it for three months mm-hmm. and then life happened and for a couple months I couldn't uh and that's why uh Zero Saints came out in 2015 I believe mm-hmm. October of 2015 and uh yes. it, it was three years between books which hopefully I'm gonna try really hard to never do that again uh, I can't put out books every year. Um, I can't put out books every two weeks like James Patterson because I actually write my own. Gosh. Uh, but <laughs> but I'm going to try to do at least one per year. That sounds doable. Okay. So uh, this one was broken up into a series of smaller tales that loop together um, underneath the unifying story now uh did you pace yourself in any way uh to get each portion done or uh schedule that just just trying to figure out how the how the priorities setting goes on in Gabino's world well the uh, um the ghost uh, la, la bruja the the, the mm-hmm. mother who uh loses her son and then becomes an angry ghost. Yes. Uh, her story was clear Ooh. in my head from beginning to end. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, I, was, that was good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, I sat down and um, I think I probably wrote all of her chapters as like one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, Jaime's story was something that, that was based, originally it was like a flash piece 
based on a true story from a friend of mine uh, who did a little bit of time and then he came out and then situations at the home weren't uh, ideal. And then that became sort of a, a published short story, but I wasn't quite happy because I needed more. Um, and then I wrote a longer version that was published by um, uh, Hex Publishers in um, an anthology about um, – it was called Gasoline in Action. I can't remember the title right now. And I still wasn't happy, so I sat down. And uh, for this, I reworked the whole thing, made it much longer, and uh, then added Jaime to this thing. Um, and then using conversations um, with a few friends and also with um, superb, uh, one of my favorite authors, David Joy, who's also an avid fisherman, um, I had this idea um, about I, I wanted to start one of the stories uh, with fishing. Uh, so the, the opening of the book, which is a fishing scene, uh, David Joy is, is mentioned in there as being an author of a book that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of this fun thing that I wanted to do. And then uh, once that scene was written, I was like, I like where this is going. This is pretty weird. So I wonder what I can do with this skid who just watched his dad get his brains blown out by uh, a guy uh, on the other side of the river. So let me just tie this all up together. And the rest were just like jumping. I kind of knew what I wanted to do, but I, once I had all the others more or less in place, I, I started filling in spaces between those chapters with chapters from other people. So those chapters I wrote uh, separately, which sort of included a lot of going back and rereading everything to make sure that it kind of had some continuity. Yeah, correct. Yes. Um, oh, yeah, that worried me a lot, but you know, went back, read my own stuff, which helps with editing too. Yes. Uh, and then hopefully it fits together. Which it all did, and and very well. Thank you. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> You are quite welcome. Now, what is one of the struggles that you find yourself constantly facing when you sit down to write? I think that the main struggle is finding that time to sit down and write mm-hmm. uh, and just turn the world off. No work, no reading, no reviews, no teaching, no grading, no lesson plans, no interviews, no emails, no nothing. Some some music, a couple hours to write, and, and the laptop. Uh, it, it just keeps getting harder and harder to find that time. Uh, and I've, I've thought about, like, maybe I should sleep even less. But, <laughs> but I, I have this cycle now where it's like I, I'll be fine. I'll be perfect for a week and I'll be fine for that second week. That third week I start getting tired and then I'll, I'll get to that final week of the month. And then if I'm sitting down for too long, not doing anything, I'll start nodding off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It's since August when I started the, uh, the full-time teaching job, it's sort of gotten harder to, uh, to find those those nice chunks of time. So now it's basically if I have a thought in my head, I'll I'll type it on my phone or during lunch I'll just write really quickly for twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to trick myself into 
finding those little spots during the day where you can squeeze in mm -hmm. um, 20 minutes. So if I can't sit down and write for an hour, maybe I can sit down and write for 15 minutes five or six times and then I end up doing more work. I don't know. Now, I'll, I'll do, <laughs> do you find yourself uh, having such a limited amount to apply towards a goal that the goal is more in focus and that hmm. your writing is, is your writing more productive? I would like to say yes, but I can't because sometimes <laughs> I struggle to, to find that little chunk of time. And then mm -hmm. I sit there and I'm like, I, I, my, my mind is not here. It's, mm -hmm. it's elsewhere and it's just unproductive time. And I don't, I don't sit around and wait for the muse. It's either mm -hmm. I sit down, I start writing or I sit down. It's not happening today. I have other things to do. So let me go finish this piece for the yeah. actor or polish that review or do something else. Yeah. Um, but it's summer now, so hopefully, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll as soon as I get back to Austin, I'll have some time during the day to sort of um, force myself to not do anything else. <laughs> to flip that switch on and hope that the muse shows yes. up. Very loud music and close the windows and mm -hmm. let the darkness pour out. <laughs> <laughs> so now, when when you say you say loud music, so what would you say your primary listening is? Uh, that's funny because I, I I get in these moods and then I I'll try to match those moods. So it's mm -hmm. weird because Hungry Darkness was written and I was listening at that time to nothing but blues. Uh, which kind of doesn't go with a with a creature feature, uh, but in my head it did. Uh, and then I listened to a lot of salsa music, a lot of uh, reggaeton, a lot of uh, narco corridos when I was writing Zero Saints, uh, and then uh, probably three quarters of, of Coyote songs. Uh, I was just into like atmospheric black metal, so that was <laughs> I felt like I was walking through the dark woods with an axe in my hand for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and then this this next one is sort of like dark ambient for some reason, uh, which I don't know. If you listen to really good dark ambient for a while. Like Sun O or. <laughs> yeah, that type of music will get you in a mood. So yeah. I, I have to, I have to stop the music and sort of, maybe interact with a plant before you start talking to a person. Uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what's going on now. <laughs> maybe it'll change. I don't know. Now, uh, speaking of also of music, what's the first musical album that you ever bought with your own money? With my own money? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Blues Traveler 4. Okay. Yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, you. my goodness. I'm not 21 anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, what job? I Oh, did you go away? Oh, okay. I'm here. Not, okay. First, I, I thought I have you a, had. Ah, here we go. Yay. Battery. We're good. Oh, okay. Great. Great. Now, I know you also do the MFA. You teach high school. So what job, if you were offered it, would make you immediately drop everything you're doing 
to say yes to? If I could teach writing at a college level full time, mm-hmm. I would drop absolutely everything and go do that. Or uh, if I could, if I could find the New York Times or or the good folks at NPR said we're going to offer you a full time reviewing gig, mm-hmm. where I could just literally pay all my bills reading books and writing about them. Wow. Uh, I would probably cry and then say yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, one of those two. Okay. Now, what album can you listen to all the way through without skipping a single track? Uh, I just drove. I, I couldn't afford tickets uh, out of Austin to come to Puerto Rico. So mm-hmm. I did something that I've done uh, five or six times. And I also have friends and family down in Florida. So I drive from Austin to Orlando, which is about 17 to 19 hours, depending on traffic and rain and a bunch of other things. So, uh, in the last three trips, uh, I've found myself when it's dark, uh, outside <laughs> listening to very early Tom Waits, uh, the heart of Saturday night. Oh man. Uh, and I don't skip any songs, which is kind of weird. So lately in the last two or three trips, it's been that. Now, uh, let's see. What's the most gracious response or or rejection that you have ever had. Gracious response or rejection. I think when it's when it's a it's it's a positive response, you kind of don't notice because the overall theme is like, yes, this mm-hmm. is happening. Uh, yeah. so it would have to be rejections. Response um, to rejection. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Now I'm talking about your writing, but then of course you can apply that question to your life, <laughs> however you want. Uh, let's see. Hmm. Been rejected so many times. Mm-hmm. I've collected rejections. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh well, uh, 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 I really had my uh, with that first novel. I found um, a professor at UT who offered to read it. And he read it, and I knew nothing about publishing at the time. And he had a superb agent in Dallas mm-hmm. uh, who basically built a career um, along with him. They just grew together, and he said, uh, with, my, with my words of recommendation, he'll probably pick this up. And this is kind of like what you can expect. Not knowing anything about publishing, uh, he said those things, and I was like, yeah, no, that works for me. So I thought that was kind of how it worked. Uh, <laughs> and it, indeed, it is kind of how that works. It's right. really at different stages in your career when, when that happens. So I sent it off to him and he uh, he read it. And his email sort of started with, wow, this is great. It's so dark. It's a lot of fun. It's packed with action. And it's just not something I think I could sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh, oh, Okay. <laughs> now I'm learning this is how that works they'll ah. tell you how awesome it is and then they'll tell you why it's not for them mm-hmm. uh, which is something that I've encountered 27,000 times since yeah. uh, but now I'm kind of expecting it if the beginning of the uh, if the beginning of the email is super positive you mm-hmm. can sort of try to wait a little bit before you celebrate because there's, there's a period and then they say however mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> or 
in any case, and then the entire discourse changes, and what they really wanted to say was no. Yes. So, yeah. Was that? What are you talking about? <laughs> an interview, sir. Interview for what? <laughs> can, can we talk later? No. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry for the interruption. Oh, that's okay. That is quite all right. At least you didn't have to wipe any poopy butts. No, no, none of that. <laughs> no. Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, what's the most agonizing career decision that you have ever had to make? Oh, every time this year, for some reason, I've I've had the uh, opportunity to travel quite a bit. Huh? Uh, and you, every time that you say yes to something, uh, you're excited, and then something else gets to has to be sacrificed. Uh, so when I went to uh, to the uh, Grand Rapids for StokerCon, I was yes. finishing the edits on, on another novel. So I was, I, was, I was working on an editing gig. So I, I didn't get to hang out at the bar with all no. my horror heroes. Uh, every time that I've traveled on a Friday because I need to do something on a Saturday, um, I have to spend, I have to not write at all anything that week because I have to leave lesson plans and materials for the subs to cover oh. me on a Friday. Uh, so every time that I say yes to something, the most agonizing things, accepting one thing or two things are not going to get done. Mm. Uh, and you want to do them all and they're all equally important and you want to... You don't want to look lacy in any of your aspects of your life, uh, but you always have to choose one um, or two that uh, that suffer and that kind of still hurts <laughs> every time. Now, how did you make your first dollar? My first dollar, uh, I probably stole it. Uh, how did I make my first dollar? Um, Legit. Le the, the first legit dollar, uh, I was probably either mowing lawns or washing cars. Okay. So I remember doing a lot of that. Yeah. Okay. Now, <laughs> hypothetical question. Your younger sister, damn it, Carolyn, she got you one of those DNA kits. You return the vial of spit and suddenly men in black suits swarm your home and you learn <laughs> you have had a secret parent with lineage far, far from home, perhaps from another galaxy. What does this new knowledge now explain to you about yourself? A lot. <laughs> uh, uh, it explains why I don't need more sleep, which is something that I've been doing for eight years. And anyone, I'm an ATI certified personal trainer. All the personal trainers that I know, all the doctors that I know tell me the exact same thing. You need you rest. It's not a sustainable system. You're going to crash and burn. So that would explain that. Uh, it would also explain uh, my ability to eat food beyond a human level. Like, uh, I probably have four stomachs. Um, or because I live in Austin, I, I don't have allergies. Okay. 99.9% .9 of the individuals that I've met in Austin have some kind of allergy. It's pollen or dust or dust mites or cedar fever 
Um, and cedar fever season, I'll just, I'll just go for a jog. I don't, I don't have any allergies to anything that goes up your nose. Um, and that's pretty alien. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> now what's one thing that you were exceptionally good at? Oh, uh, tuning the hell out. Like just give me a book and you, you want to go to the workroom and I'm reading and you want to have a conversation about how awesome your date was this weekend, but the conversation is not with me. I have a superb ability to tune out and you end up sounding like the motor on a, on a plane when you're just sitting there and you stop hearing it altogether. I, I can do that almost every single time that I try to do it. Okay. Now, what are, what are I'm you, sorry. That, I just, that's okay. That sounds like, what are you good at? Ignoring people. Hey. I'm really good at ignoring <laughs> folks. <laughs> hey, it's a skill. It's, it's a, a skill. skill. It's a skill, yeah. What are you really bad at? Uh, 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 not getting angry. Okay. Uh, but, I'm, but I'm working on it because the internet teaches you to not get angry or you waste a lot of time. Yes. Uh, so now I've been working on that. I, 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 I breathe deeply and I, I realize the, the guy calling me a beaner on Twitter only has 12 followers and six other bots. Yeah. So I don't have to punch a wall. It's no. okay. I'm going to go have a cookie. Okay. And then just... I'm working on it. Yeah. Okay. How do you like to hit the reset button after a terrible day or experience? Uh, music. Close your eyes. Go somewhere else. Yeah. Listen. Listen to music. Or when you have an opportunity, you save it all up. You bottle it. And then you come to the Caribbean and you go to the beach. Oh. Get in the water and you just let it all out. And the, ocean takes it away forever nice yeah that the ocean is a reset button for the soul that's my rule yes. exactly. um, yeah. um but yeah we've reached the final five questions of our interview before right. before i reach that point though i'm gonna go meta for a second and ask you what question do you wish i would have asked you why do you like to be on interviews? Yes. Why do you like to be on interviews? Uh, I know the, the, the internet is weird, so don't be too specific. But where are you located in the inner map? Um, okay. The, the continuous US United yes. States. The yeah. continuous UN United States is a dartboard. Okay. Right. You throw a dart at it. It lands right in the center. All right. That's just, I'm, I'm near Kansas City. So what are the odds of you and me having this conversation over coffee if you're near Kansas City and I'm in Austin? Hey. In, in Texas, stocks lemonade. So. Hey. Um, but yeah. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, there's a conference out there that I probably will find myself at. I'm certain. All right. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. So, final five. Final five. Final five questions. Video game or tabletop games? Which one are your favorite if you uh, had to choose? Oh, that's a tough one. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just going to go with tabletop. Okay. Yeah. 
And of course, I've got to follow up with why. <laughs> this is, I was talking about this last week. Mm. Uh, before I flew here, I went to Florida. I stayed with some friends for one night to catch my plane. And we were having an argument. Can you peacefully go from the start of the game to the very ending of a Monopoly game without fighting, talking trash, no. or somebody getting really angry. No. And during that conversation, I realized Monopoly is the best game to see people <laughs> lose their minds and get angry at one another. God. Someone had to go with Monopoly, which is also interminable. It's just an endless freaking game. So it mm. tests your patience. Mm. So I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> okay, now now I'm I'm gonna expand upon this monopoly discussion <laughs> because some friends of mine local have been all like, okay, so how about we try playing Monopoly with and stock the bank with real money? That's, <laughs> that's that's the first chapter of a true crime book. Yeah. <laughs> Something bad's gonna happen. No. Uh, <laughs> no but yeah star wars star trek or for those of us that like neither of the previous selections dune which one and one i'm gonna go with star wars because we didn't have i didn't learn about dune until i started reading mm -hmm. uh and and learn about herbert's novel uh and i didn't really didn't really watch a lot of tv but i was always a movie guy and, uh, of course, I think part of your – if you're a film person at some point in your young life, unless you're 90, uh, at some point in your young life, you will watch those original three and it will kind of change the way that you look at sci-fi and the way you look at movies and the way you look at costumes. And, yeah, so I'm going to go with Star Wars. If you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Um, I would like to fly so I could go everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And fly, crime or whatever on the weekend. Uh, now, I also travel. <laughs> yes. Now, you have an excuse to travel. You have, you have family and, and work are, are both geographically all over now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Marvel or DC? Or have you... Uh, Even aren't that familiar with comic books? Marvel. Okay. I why, see why Dizzy is trying. Yeah. Dizzy tries. They try really they do. hard. They do. Uh, Marvel, they, from time to time, they will make me laugh. And I, I don't think they try that hard. It's just they, the way that they built the entire universe, it's just like they have some outstanding writers and. I mean, all the movies are flawed. You can say whatever you want, but you sit there, you're entertained, you're moved from time to time, uh, and then you laugh from time to time. Mm -hmm. So, sorry, DC, but Marvel for me. Okay. Now, science fiction or fantasy? Choose. Sci you must choose. Okay. So sorry. So sorry, fantasy. Sci-fi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Only because most of my friends who read were into the wrong kind of sci-fi, into the wrong kind of fantasy. Oh. They would come up to me with like this 800-page books with like dragons and magicians and, you know, swords. And I wasn't 
about that when I was like 14. Uh, mm-hmm. And sci-fi, that people went yeah. to the moon and they got yeah. parasites and they everybody died. Uh, and <laughs> there was always like an alien trying to kill everybody or a disease. There was yeah. No, yeah. No, I'm just I'm just tapping the metaphorical <laughs> clock because yeah. it's like, yeah, there's things happening. They're, yeah. Yep. Exactly. So sci-fi all the way. Cool. Awesome. So um, thank you again, Gabino, for taking the time to speak with me this evening. I really do appreciate it. And I wish you safe travels and a wonderful rest of your trip. And I hope to see more from you within the next year or so. I'm trying. Promise. Okay. All right. I might hold you to that. Okay. I thank you for having me. Take care. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.